I want to talk to Callaway. Let's go through these guys on here. I want Callaway guys to come on and talk about their balls. <laughs> Golf balls. All right, everybody. Welcome back. No putts given. How's everybody living up there today? Tony, Covey, Chris Nickel. Those are names. Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C, all the things. Thanksgiving week. Here we are. Time to eat some turkey. Get ready, Tony, today. Chrome soft golf balls. In the ball lab, we're going to pick your brain on how that went. Vokey flight lines. Is it even legal? Like, it seems three of them. There's three. Yeah. Three and uh, I'm going to sell you short and just give you two lines on your wedge. You get three. Boy. And a question around maybe why you need higher launching spinnier iron shafts. We're, we're going to get into that in a minute because, it, you know, anyway, stuff's out there, this, that, whatever. Uh, it is Turkey Week, Tony. But before that, Chrome Soft golf balls. You had them in the ball lab, right? Yeah, in the ball lab. Finally. So, finally. The last, the last, this time we decided, you know what, we're going to, we're going to save the standard Chrome Soft till the end, make it the last V3 Chrome Soft models. So what's already in the lab? What's already been, if people want to look, already in there, Chrome so Soft. So we've got, of the 2022s, we've got XLS and X all by itself. Okay, so so Chrome Soft X, Chrome Soft XLS, and now Chrome Soft. So this is 2022 version. Let's get into it, Tony. What? How did it do? How did it, it do? It did average, which is I like to think of average as pretty good because it's not pretty bad, and certainly there are balls that do pretty bad. But every every time we post an average score. I invariably have to have the conversation of, all right, let's, let's sit at, sit down and talk about how averages work and the idea that, you know, any, any sample sort of almost by statistical definition, the majority of things in our case that we test should qualify as average. Average isn't bad, just average. What? So before we dive into Chrome Soft, kind of the uh, particular specifics, yeah, why is that? Why why are people maybe accustomed to seeing average as bad? We say, oh, the database average is a you know seventy three. I think maybe seventy four. Seventy three. Seventy three. ChromeSoft came in a couple points higher than that. Seventy six. So, okay, so, so just a nudge above average, and people go average. Well, that's just okay. I mean, it is, but it isn't right. Like average. Average is okay. That's it. That's it. Average is okay. Most things are average. Most things are okay. And I think an average to me is a ball with no major red flags. It's going to be the highest quality, most consistent thing that we run into in any given year. But it's nothing to panic about. So that's where I get into trying to classify what average means in everyday terms is that if it, if it fits you really well, if it is the best for you within the golf ball space, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't play it. No red flags. Go. Yeah, no red flags. Good to go. Uh, like you said, if people would step back for a second and go, hey, most things in this world that you're satisfied with are average, right? You probably watch an average TV with average resolution, and you probably, you know, 
drive an average, average vehicle, golf podcast, listen to very average golf podcasts, and you're and you're happy with that. It's it's like this idea that people that it has to be exceptional or top class or whatever, otherwise it's junk, and that's just not the case. That's it's not just how the opposite. The world works. Yeah, Most not how things, math works. Most things are average. So let's dive into this Chrome software a little bit because. I think that's the question probably on a lot of people's minds is, okay, is it any better? Is it good? Is it better? Is it, you know, so kind of take us through the particulars, I guess, and the specifics of it. And maybe starting off, is it soft? It's a Chrome soft. Is it soft? By the standards of its category, and we'll, we'll lump everything in and say, hey, as far as balls with a urethane cover go, yes, it is soft is softer than anything played on tour with any regularity if at all when you when you think about things like super soft and your your wilson duos and things that are super duper squishy then then no it's not soft but within its space it is it is one of the softer balls not the absolute softest but it's among the sort of that tier right it's legitimately soft for the category and yeah it's certainly the softest of the Chromesoft lineup. And as we know, right, golf companies like to compare things to their own products. The reference point sure. is always the stuff that we made. And certainly within within that range of Chromesofts, it is the softest of the Chromesofts, arguably the only soft Chromesoft. But yeah, I, I don't take issue with the, the soft naming on this. Okay. So... From the metrics that we measure, you know, we look at compression, we look at weight, we look at size, we look at layer concentricity, those kind of things. Let me guess, it was average? Yes, but with, with an asterisk here. So, you know, concentricity is, you know, that's where we kind of cut it open and take a look. And in that case, you know, this is, this is the emphasis of the, the current Chrome soft line. When they, when they talk about precision technology, when they write that on the box, what, the, the current focus of that is really that layer concentricity. Concentricity offsets, as Callaway calls them, like, hey, can, can we make everything the same thickness and, and keep it all in the middle of the ball so that you know, we don't have more of one layer on the left side of the ball than we do on the right, that sort of thing. And right. you know, certainly we, we saw some of that in the past. We don't have to dwell on it. But so that, that was, it's been an area of focus. And so, you know, that's something I look very closely at when I cut open Callaway balls. And there was nothing absolutely nothing to even nitpick nothing that that looked a little fishy nothing i really had to do a double take on at all this i mean they were they were really good in that sense um but that type of thing is is pass fail so they passed right. they passed with flying colors so yeah that was excellent for sure concentricity fantastic nothing to worry about there which for callaway obviously huge step forward gains over time that that now i can look Check. at and go yeah no they they said it and and i see it so hey mm -hmm. yeah good yeah and they talk about right putting in i think the first numbers we talked about was like 50 million it's probably closer to 75 80 100 million dollars now at this point in terms of because they're not done we talked about this before they're not done this is project ongoing spend ongoing mm -hmm. reinvestment in in that and bringing things up to to a place that they feel that they can uh, and and will consistently produce golf balls that, you know, like you said, precision, 
you know, it, it's a fun little catchy phrase and, and whatever, but say, okay, what, what does that really mean? Are we talking about precise, you know, dimple depth? Are we talking about compression? Are we talking about size? Are we, you know, and, and in this case, they said very specifically, we're talking about concentricity of, of offset basically, or like you said, are the layers all centered in such a fashion as to not cause any concern visual or otherwise? So check it passes. Okay, cool. That's, that's notable, right? That's, that's not nothing. It's, it's pretty significant for them, but what about the other stuff that you measure? So we start with what we start with in the, it's kind of the diameter weight combo, right? So one of the things we notice with respect to diameter is that the Chrome soft is a small golf ball. It's a small golf ball by design, certainly. Okay. And again, I believe by design because we know <laughs> the, the history of some of the people involved in this design that, that, you know, there's some love for small golf balls and it's, it's a way to kind of eke out as much distance as possible within the rules. Certainly you conform to the, to the letter of the rule, maybe not always the spirit, but that's that you can push back and say, Hey, this, the USGA they have boundaries, a, the USGA has a test yeah. and, and if there are loopholes opportunities in this test to kind of play a little fast and loose with the rules. It's because the USGA left them there. And so, hey, fair game, good on Callaway to an extent to try and exploit that to the, to the fullest potential. Downside with that is when you, when you kind of ride that line, occasionally fall, you fall below it. And we did have one golf ball in the sample that was too small. So we we're talking 1.68, right, is our average is our measurement. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, I'd, I'd like to say average diameter, but it's not really even that. It's, it's a ring edge and you kind of have to roll it around on this track pattern and it's just a case of you know you do it enough times you know yeah i can do this all day and it's going to fall out a few times but not enough and occasionally right. you run into right. a way small ball and you're like oh, <laughs> fell out, yep. fell out. that's yep. what we had here so no doubt about it definitely small but but just one and again i think that's yeah. almost unavoidable when you're when you're trying to push the limits what's the benefit i mean just just to be really clear what's the benefit of airing on the side of small as opposed to dead in the middle or even because small, Callaway has small. made a golf ball before, like they purposely made it a little bit oversized. It was it's, a larger golf ball so that the center of gravity of the ball was slightly higher than. That's their max of. golf ball. It was the Magna at one yeah. point. But yeah, it's, and again, it's raising that center of gravity, make it easier to hit in the air. That's the selling point of that ball. Here, it's just one of those things from, I guess it really boils down to aerodynamics. That smaller ball, it's just, get a little bit more distance through the air. So, and, th and that's why there is that limit. So that you can't just kind of go lower, lower. They want to keep you in that box to an extent. And so, yeah, they trying to get eke out a little bit extra. And I think, and again, I, my feeling on low compression golf balls, especially when you get into higher swing speed players is, is reasonably well known. Uh huh. And so if you're, you're trying to get more out of a ball that for, for some golfers will be short. That's, that's not a bad way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does. Like you said, the, the principles in play here that in general, right, a, the lower compression ball is going to give up some speed off the driver. And so you say, okay, well, if we're going to air that side, right, on the, on the softer side, lower compression, what are other things that we can do throughout the design to try and get some of that distance back? It could be through spin characteristics. It could be through aerodynamic patterns on the dimples, 
It could be through the size of the ball. Right? And they do so, all of that, right? So you give, hey, yeah. this is it's going to be a higher launching golf ball. Yep. We're, uh, we're going to make it a lower spin golf ball, though we've talked about low compression and low spin. Right. Kind of go hand in hand. So it's higher launch, low spin. Hey, we're going we're gonna to make it small to the extent possible and try and get a little bit more out of it there as well. So I get it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just, again, sometimes... It wouldn't, you know, if the USGA got the same sample we did, the ball would be fine because, you know, as, as long as you don't have three fail across that sample, you're fine. So they're fine. We flag one as bad and, you know, we move. And then in terms of the consistency component, right? So we have these metrics. Again, we said overall the ball ended up average, but then we look at the consistency of things like compression, right? Like throughout it, hey, you might get an average, right? Like, I mean, just super easy example, you could get let's say something that's at a 10 and something that's at a 90. And obviously that average, right, might be 50. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up here too. You just get, to see. Yeah, you get 48, 49, 50, 51, 52. And obviously that range from high to low, that's what we're looking at, right? Yeah, and our ratings are actually based on the standard deviation. So in this conversation, the standard deviation of compression, but a really kind of quick way to look at it is just to look at you know, what is that what is that compression delta? Uh -huh. You know what's what's the difference between my my uh, firmest ball and my softest ball? And yep. on this one, we're rounding ten compression points, which it's not terrible by any means. So you're saying ten compression points, meaning hey, if the lowest ball was a sixty-eight, the highest compression ball was a seventy-eight. So and everything fell yeah, yeah somewhere between those two. Yeah, so I think it's it's probably it's right on either side of the average. So again, not not bad, not exceptional. I mean, we've seen some exceptionally poor. Yeah, yeah what's seen... ex what's exceptional on either side? If that let's say you know whether it's eight, nine, ten, whatever is average, what's exceptionally good, and what's kind of the worst we've seen? Have we well, seen? It's, it's easier to be a lot. You know, it's a lot to be easier to be really, really bad. Than sure. it is to be really, really good. And so, you know, we do have one, the, the best balls hover, you know, again, rounding, which I think is reasonable, right around five. So five compression points would be kind of what I would consider to be excellent. You get into that, mm -hmm. you know, six, seven, eight range, then you're, then you're good. And then, you know, nine to 11, probably eyeballing it here is, that's, that's plenty acceptable, I'd say. Yeah. And then you start to get in the tail end. Like we've had 24 compression points, 23 Ooh. compression points, 20 compression points in the sample. And so oh, that's, that's, that's awful from just, if we, if we <laughs> equate compression to feel yeah. alone, you know, that that's going to introduce a performance difference invariably, right? But to to kind of put it in context that, that a lot of people watching and listening can understand it's, it's basically, and I, I like to use Titleist because I think a lot of people have at least experienced the Titleist balls. It's sure. a bit like kind of a more extreme version really of as about the same like finding a pro v1x in a box of avx's like that's you know that's kind of the feel difference we're talking about the mm -hmm. i mean it, it's extreme when you get to that level at, at yeah. 10 points you may notice but again like it's not like a and and you probably would notice if you're really kind of paying attention as you go and all of them are say 95 compression and then one of them is 85 85 yeah is there you know splattered within a couple points of each other up and down it's it's i'm sure 
that's not what Callaway wants. I don't think they go, yeah, no. Well, they we're probably fine. want it to be tighter, but. Much, yeah. I mean, especially if you look at this and go, yeah, we've got guys that are around here around five or six. We, we want to be around five or six for sure. Mm-hmm. Ten's not bad. It's average. It's good. It's fine. It's all fine. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. It's not not our definition of good, but it, I guess good enough is what I would say. Average. Well, is good like enough. you said, again, overall, if this was the ball that fit you perfectly, there's nothing here that suggests like, hey, don't buy it or geez, or you know. So it's fine. It's all good fine. enough. Good, good enough. enough. Not, not where Callaway wants to be at this point. I will say so. We didn't talk about these other metrics, but the answer is it was it was average for weight consistency. It was average for diameter consistency, average for cons- compression consistency. Now, within that, right, average is a range, and right. so you can fall at some point within that range. And so they were kind of in the middle of average for for compression. And I look at it, and you can see on the chart that we post, we we show you kind of where everything falls on a ball by ball basis. This mm-hmm. is one where. For me, this is this is now the weakness in the Callaway lineup, which is good. It's it's almost like a good problem to have because now we're not talking about let's, they're off center and there's chunks of whatever in the core and and all this stuff. It's just like, yeah, the the compression is is not as consistent as the the best balls on the market for that metric. Right, that can be improved on. I, I would imagine it will be something that gets improved on over time. When I look at weight and diameter, again. By definition, average, but both of those on the higher end of the average range. Mm-hmm. So we're we're sneaking up on good, and it's one of those things. The way our database works, it's a living thing. So yeah. as you as you dump things into the database, they do impact the ratings of the stuff that's already there because it's it's an ongoing comparison, which is why we started to use the phrase at the time of testing, right? Because things <laughs> change. So if if something happens, like say next year, right, and it, for whatever reason, industry wide quality drops if we start testing a lot of golf balls that are below average it's going to make the stuff that is average look a little better so being on that in that high average range puts you on the cusp of where you know you're trending up there you could you know with the mm-hmm. where you are today is better where better than where people go tomorrow mm-hmm. it's going to elevate you so we'll keep an eye on that yeah it's it's close you know we, we saw signs of that with the Chrome Soft X. There was a similar thing with some high right. average ratings. And then with the, uh, the Chrome Soft X LS, where they actually did creep up into that good range for a couple of metrics. So yeah. overall, right. I'm, I'm encouraged. It's an average result overall, but it's an encouraging average, if, yeah. especially if you're a fan of Callaway Golf. Yeah. So if we, uh, let me ask, ask you the question this way. If the Chrome Soft franchise, the retail versions of these golf balls and we'll talk those three that was a stock and we look at some of these things as you know going up in value down in value etc is this a stock that you would buy today well it's certainly not at its low point (laughs) in my mind but yeah i think if you're looking hey is there growth potential here is there room to improve Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I think I think the the potential is is in the upward direction, especially as it certainly uh, looks like the the majority of the problems have been cleaned up, eradicated, whatever word you want to use. So I think upside potential, if you like that. But do you have do you have confidence based on what you've seen throughout 2022 that not only is there that potential, but the Callaway is making strides on that end to realize some of that potential and 
are we seeing enough evidence from just purely a metric measurement standpoint to suggest that things are actually improving? So what I know, our data suggests an upward trend. As we discussed uh, several episodes ago, that I, at last I checked, and maybe it's full by now, but there was empty space on the factory floor mm -hmm. in Callaway's Chicopee plant. And that empty space was, you know, sort of awaiting new machinery, new technologies that will further improve their ability to, to make a quality golf ball. So yeah, I, I like what I see in my data. I, I like what I see in the factory in terms of kind of where they've gone and, and the potential to go farther. We talked about that as well, right? Some of the personnel stuff they've done, bringing in people from other companies who have expertise in design, expertise in manufacturing. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's encouraging. Yeah. So TBD always, uh, always going to be fun in, in we'll keep pushing. I mean, we, we want to like, Funny, we ask we ask uh, our listeners like, who would you like to have us on as a guest? Who would you like to see us talk to on NPG and yeah. get some of these outlandish stuff? And the top of my list are like, I want to talk to Callaway. Let's go through these guys on here. Mm -hmm. I want Callaway guys to come on and talk about their balls, <laughs> golf balls specifically. Or I mean, you know, I never know. Like last week with Lou, conversation went in a different direction. So you don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, you don't know. You don't know, but there you go. There's the invite. So come on, guys. Open we'll invite. Still, Open. still. See you soon. Dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, switching gears, flight lines, Vokey wedges, three flight lines. I tried those. Okay, so when I read this, when I read this, I, my first two thoughts were, damn, that's a great idea. Seems so simple. And two... Is that really conforming? Like in my mind, I go like, Why? you know, I, I can't use a swing aid on like, but close rules, right? And, and again, Vokey's not going to call it the wedge. I get it. That, that's something like that. That's not conforming. So dumb question. But, but so you think, you go, yeah. oh, you some kind of moron. Why are you asking? Yeah. <laughs> I am some kind of moron. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are they? What do they do quickly? What are they? What are the lines? What do they do? They're, they are three lines. Three lines etched onto the hosel of a wedge. I guess we can have the video guy slide up some pictures here because they're super compelling. In fact, I think, I believe I, uh, I apologized for the lack of compelling photos in the article because, you know, it's three lines on the hosel of a wedge. Yeah. But they're not random. They are specifically oriented. They are the brainchild. I know somebody's going to say, well, DST, which is an awesome training aid, put a line on that training club. Cool. I get it. They did. You know, there have been variations of alignment markers before. Hey, don't care. This one is on a wedge that you can buy and play. And for specific play. purposes. Exactly. So, and brainchild, if you want to call it that, of Parker McLaughlin, who's the short game chef, as I understand it, on the socials, mm. on the YouTubes. and whatnot. Indeed he is. But he... Based on some observations he had working with better players, they all kind of set up to their wedge shots, their short game shots. So pitch, bump and run, flop, kind of all did the same things for those shots. And amateur golfers maybe don't had, had a <laughs> kind of a different, unique, alternative approach, I guess. And so, 
is essentially reminder lines etched on the hassle that you can yeah. kind of take a quick peek at and say, all right, how do, what is the shot I want to hit and, and how do I need to set up to it? How do I need to orient myself, the club face, the shaft, those questions. So that I put myself in the best position to execute because so you still have to it... swing the club. You can still screw it up, but right. you know, sort of that fundamentals, man, like just getting right down to the fundamentals. So is it as simple? Like I watched the, the video and I read, read the article on it. I don't, you know, have one in front of me to, to try yet. I, I can send you some, they don't fit me. They don't fit. No, I don't. <laughs> right. Thanks guys. I don't. <laughs> but is it as simple as, Hey, set up and make sure that this line is just pointing straight up. Like they said, have it point up at your nose. And I was like, well, what if my, what if I'm set up this way? What if I like. Yeah. So there is, there is some manipulation and that's kind of like, Hey, if, if this is super hard, then maybe I wasn't doing it correctly to begin with. And so, you know, flop shot, I, I played flop shots before I, I knew anything else about golf. Never occurred to me like, Hey, you could just run that along the ground. I'm like, no, it's going to go up there and then down. So, you know, that, that one for me was actually the easiest cause it's a shot. Like I play a lot more than mm -hmm. I should. What I found in that particular one, working with it on the range is like, Hey, this, this really kind of forces you to be almost in exactly the same spot. Not like I'm a yeah. little less open, a little more open. And it becomes like, Hey, this is, this is kind of my stock flop. And if I need to hit it higher, well, I know that if I'm here, I just need to open it up a little more. If I need to flight it down or, or tweak the distance, I just need to maybe not quite point it at my nose as much in one direction or the other. And so it, it's a really good baseline configuration, even if you're comfortable with that shot, whatever that shot. Is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, moving on to the pitch, which is like, I found like, this is, this is as odd as it sounds, not a shot that I play a lot. Right. And I think like, with McGregor and how firm the turf can be there and. Yeah, I'm, I'm either going low or high and, and seldom in the middle. And so yeah. I was like, oh, this is, this is really foreign to me. And I'm like, wow, this is, I need to do this more often because this, this comes off super easy. It's crisp. Maybe it's that S grind. I don't know, but something here is really working for me. And again, it's just, it's really simple. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah. Let me just kind of remind myself where I need to be mm -hmm. and then go on to the, to the bump and run, which was for me, the trickiest probably because I've kind of developed my own technique over the years. And that's, that's one thing that was working against me. And the other was I kind of lost track of what I was doing. Like, uh, <laughs> like lost that I was, you oh, this is supposed focus. And I'm like, well, I was, I, I kind of forgot that it was supposed to be pointing at my nose. And so now I'm trying to manipulate this thing. So it gives the appearance that it's kind of running up the shaft and started at me. So I've got it like closed down and back in my stance. And I'm like, this isn't working. And I'm like, cause I'm stupid. Because that's a line, and literally, all you have to do is make sure that the line. You got to be pointed. smarter than the line. You have to. I wasn't. You have to be smarter than a straight line. Which, yeah. You know, yeah, depending yeah. on the day, I guess we probably all struggle with that. But okay, so it has three lines, three shots, basically your standard pitch, kind of in the middle, lower shot, bump and run, and then a higher, you know, flop shot, open face, more. floppy. Yeah. So. Okay, seems easy enough. No brainer in, in in the sense of like, hey, that's pretty cool. There's going to be some people no doubt. Oh, I don't need lines to help you remind. I don't need things to remind. I'm. I know. could. I mean, we've seen it, right? Like, I don't need okay. that cool. If you don't need it, you don't need it. Um, I'm not paying twenty twenty five dollars for lines on a. I, I I didn't feel like I needed it anyway, but yeah, I'll probably have been put it on my next set of wedges. Would you? Like, 
would you put it on like would you i mean okay so 60 for me i'm thinking all right yeah absolutely i'd put it on a 60 i'd probably put it on my 56 whichever one i go there would you put it on other wedges or i might go down to my 50 because that's one right you can pitch that club you definitely can play a bump and run in fact that's that's the club okay. that I use most often for those shots around the green. I, I don't know that I've ever attempted, um, unless we're doing like a weird <laughs> one club challenge type thing. I don't, I don't know flop if that's shot our, with your 50. Yeah. I don't know that I would try and flop that. So, can they put just know. two lines on them then? No. I mean, if you can mill, if you can mill three, you can mill two, but it's like, what um, if I just, what if I just want that? I want three lines on my 60. I want three on my 56. I want two on my 50. I don't know. I want answer. one line. I want one line the on three to one flight line line lines. I want one line lines. on all of my irons for my neutral setup. Can they do that? I don't know. I could ask. Sure. Yeah. Like I I I got them. I didn't it's this is true too. I kind of hinted to this in the article, but it, this is absolutely true. So we were a few weeks before these wedges showed up, we were out at Titleist. Right. We did some stuff. I went through the Vokey wedge fitting at the time, the final version, and it recommended an S-Grind. This was the online one. We were inside. Right. In a, right. Yeah, so we did indoor wedge fitting. So you know, a couple, two, three weeks, whatever it was, these wedges show up, and I see that one of them's an S-Grind. And I was like, oh, they, they sent the S-Grind. That was nice of them. And then I'm like, it's the wrong shaft. It's the wrong grip. This isn't, you know, it's not my preferred finish. I was like, ah, whatever. The best fit. All right. Just put it off. Literally, I say put it off to the side. I literally, behind me in my office, just out in the hallway, the dog crate was there, and I left it on top of the dog crate for like three weeks and went back to it. I'm like, oh, wait, look at that. You know, there are, there are lines on these. Oh, who knew? Yeah, I, I hadn't given it much thought. And I was like, wow, you know, they're here. Let me try them, even, even though they're, you know, maybe, maybe not the right shaft or grip or loft or finish or grind. Um, but I, but yeah, let's go try it. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. And yeah, it's super simple. And I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. You can't. Maybe you could do it with a Sharpie, as some people have suggested, or stickers or however you want to do it. I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it wouldn't. I'm just like, yeah, this is this is simple. And it seems like a pretty good idea to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it's funny, like, it'd be interesting to hear, too, if people have other little tips and tricks that they use. Like, I remember the first time. I was learning how to hit bunker shots. Like bunker shots, they, they seem like they should be so easy because you purposely miss the golf ball, right? But it's one of those things like other golf shots where if you don't know what you're doing, it's impossible. Like you have no idea. But if you get like two or three things figured out, then it is super easy. And I remember one of the best tips that I got was like, I never knew how much to open it. So my default became I just opened the face enough so that the score lines were pointing towards towards my left toe. So if I'm set up, I open it. So basically, if those score lines extended, it would hit my left toe. And that became kind of my default loft and trajectory. Like, oh, okay. So I always had a place to start then knowing, okay, if nothing else, I can hit that particular shot, right? So like, are there other tips and tricks that people have out there that are like so ridiculously simple let that it's like, no, let us know. Like, I'd love to know. Like, okay. When you say, what do you got that's better than three lines on a hosel? Let's hear. What it. do you have that's better than three lines on a hosel? Uh, best answer, get the head covered because why wouldn't they? 
Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, as I was thinking about it, this is the kind of stuff, again, basic, really simple setup by uh -huh. and large. This yeah. is this is a good bit of what you would learn in a short game lesson. Sure. And then a good good percentage of us, well, myself included for sure, will we'll then forget it and mm -hmm. revert to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that that's like, hey, who's this for? Well, it's for that guy. Or how about the guy who's never had a short game lesson and, and has sort of no idea what what could be defined as as the right setup or the wrong setup? And again, super simple. And you, know, you put it on three wedges, it costs you 75 bucks, which is, in my world anyway, <laughs> around here, less than I'm going to pay for a short game lesson. So I don't, again, yeah, for me, it was, yes. I, I put them on all my wedges moving forward. I think they're, yeah. they're helpful. I'm going to see if I can get two out and, of the three. Yeah, and then you just go, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to look at it this time. I don't need to worry about it. I know what I'm going to do. So, But maybe it even just becomes part of your setup, like your little your little personal checklist. Like, okay, when I when you're hitting a normal drive, right? Like you probably have a little checklist you go through, should, right? Before you hit the shot. Same before thing. Before I slice it off into the woods. Right? Before. <laughs> right. Exactly. So maybe this becomes part of that, Tony. What do Napan Iron Shaft and Mizuno 923HL irons have in common? Well, depending on the pawn shaft, I'm guessing what you're getting at is they're designed to launch the ball hot with a fair amount of spin. You're close? You're very close. And they're both Japanese companies in, in Heritage, but I, that's of no, no consequence. But yeah, they both just got me thinking about this. And, and it's just a quick random topic a little bit in the sense of as we move forward with bidding, like, yeah, for a long time, we didn't understand higher launch, lower spin, maximize carry with drivers, right? I mean, you can kind of trace bidding alongside, you know, launch monitor. Basically, as we got more information, figured out how to hit shots further, then you saw things adjust to that, right? And we've seen that in the equipment space where designs have changed, CG locations have changed, so on and so forth. My question is, are we getting to a point now with irons where we're ready to maybe let the pendulum swing back a little bit from distance, distance, distance. Oh, you hit the sign 12 yards further, two yards further, nine yards, you know, you know, de-lofting irons, loft jacking, whatever you want to call it, to, hey, maybe we need to hit irons higher with more spin which may ultimately not go any further, but from an accuracy standpoint, is that something that golfers, more golfers than would admit it, should be looking at? I think so. Only from my experience and, and under my experience, that would include things like a decade or so going on a, a testing clubs, average golfers, and then playing at a, at a country club. And, and one of the interesting things, I suppose, if you want to use the word, the country club, you have a diverse 
group of golfers and a, a healthy segment of those are tend to be older guys, guys with not a lot of club head speed. And so, you know, when you, when you play with those guys and you watch them hit iron shots in particular, but you certainly see it with every club in the bag. I guess probably the most appreciable difference is going to be in the irons where you're like, it's not going up in the air. It's not stopping. You know, like I'm going to land it 20 yards in front of the green and watch it roll. And, and that works to a point, except when you get to an elevated green with no landing area in the front, nothing but trouble from the back. Like, all right, you know, what, what's my decision here? Do I want to roll it off the back and, and be in trouble there? Or do I want to leave it short and, you know, right. either hit a wedge up the hill or put it up the hill? So, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's, there's a problem. And I think a long time ago, the golf industry kind of just blew past the Rubicon. Like, no, we're not going back to that. Who cares? We're right. Distance, distance, distance. And you know, we talk about it in the context of Mizuno. Kudos to them. But we've talked about it before with Cobra and that kind of the airspeed and the F-Max lines. It's, okay. We don't have to do this. Not every golfer wants this. Certainly not every golfer is going to benefit from it. So, yeah, let's dial it back with the clubs. And kind of what you're getting at here, I think, is... Another piece of that equation is what can we do with the shaft? Do we need to rethink that piece of it as well? Yeah. And, and seeing him, I guess seeing this made me think of it where we just launched member testing for Nippon's 850 Neo GH. Uh, that shaft. one goes like along there, right? That thing goes, well, for you and me, that thing would go backwards, maybe, possibly. <laughs> but the point is, like, you know, if you play a 40 or 50 gram, uh, you know, driver shaft, if that is what fits you best is something like that, like 40, 50 gram driver shaft. This Nippon saying, yeah, you should probably be in this, this kind of range. You should be looking at something that's maybe in that mid eighties to high eighties to low 90 gram iron shaft with something that still gives you, you know, plenty of launch and spin. And really there's one club in your bag that doesn't have a speed limit your driver, right? You just want to hit that thing basically as far as you can, as straight as you can. And then everything from there fits gap. And we talked about this with Lou last week a little bit was like, do we need to rethink how we, what we do with clubs in order to address some of those gaps? And it's like, I don't know. I just feel like we're getting to this point where it's like, yeah, great. If you can hit a seven iron 200 yards, that's awesome. But if it's coming in at... 38 degrees with 4,500 backspin. It's not going to hold anything except maybe a lake. You know, might stop on that, but that's about it. Skip a few times. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, skip a few times. So I don't know. I mean, it's a thought. It's worth considering. Again, would love to hear people's thoughts. But like, I, I guess that's also the thing is like, will people even respond to that or resonate with that? Because it's not a distant story. It doesn't fill the ego of, ooh, I can hit it this far or that. Or what you're like, hey, hey, wh what iron did you hit there? Ooh, I hit a very precise eight iron. If you, if you pitch this as an infomercial, right? What's the, what's the first line? How would you like to hit the ball farther? That, that sells, not how would you like to hit it higher? How would Closer. you like to hit a spinnier iron shot? That's not. Oh. So how would you sell it then? Like if it, let's say that this is actually better for golfers. So let's just, let's presume that for a second and, and it may be true, it may not be true, but let's just presume for a second that it is and a company 
could be a titles, could be a Mizuno, could be Taylor, you know, whomever says, okay, we got an iron coming out and we know it's going to be better for golfers because it'll be more accurate. They'll be able to hit shots closer to their intended target more often. But the reality is that means they're going to hit it slightly shorter with each club now. And it's going to go, you know, and part of that's going to be because it might have a little higher trajectory and it might spin a little bit more. How are we going to sell this to a population of golfers that's been told distance, distance, distance? So how are you going to start that info? I'll put it back on you. I mean, I think it's you have to start with really pushing the fitting, right? Some sort of message around. Do you need to be fit for your clubs or you need to get fit for your clubs and here's how, whatever it is, because I think what appeals to a golfer really depends on the environment in which they're getting fit. So I think your off the rock bat buyer by and large wants to see distance. That's the number he's looking at. We know that not going to look at, and even if he's looking at, at launch and spin with his seven iron, for example, that's your typical demo club. He's probably not asking himself. Well, where could I be? Or even where should I be? Where do I need to be? Right. Like these are these are not things that the average golfer knows. Like, hey, for my club head speed, I really need to be launching at X and spinning at Y. It's just like, hey, no, they don't. That know. one that that goes five yards longer than the last iron I bought here. Yeah. So let's let's do that. So it's 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 a communication thing. It's and it's it's twofold because it's you need to go get fit, and then it sort of becomes. <laughs> becomes sort of the fitter's challenge to explain to somebody, yeah, look, I know you hit that other one three yards longer, but let me explain right. to you why maybe that's not what you want. It's a hard one. I mean, there's a lake. <laughs> this is what can stop your ball in that trajectory, a lake. And I think here's the other conundrum is, in a sense, you might get better players to listen to that message a little bit, but it's also possible they're better players because they're already incorporating some of that. And secondarily, if that's not the population that really needs that as much, right, it is more the mid slower swing speed player that's saying, Hey, you know, that has eight clubs in their bag, right? That go 150 yards. They have a lot of clubs that all go 150 yards and they can't stop it on the green, but they're the exact ones that have been sold distance and only distance to their own performance detriment over and over and over. And that's the population you really need to talk to. And it's almost like to do a 180, I I mean, that's a it's, risk. It's almost like the Mizuno approach almost feels like, look, we know you want distance, but mm -hmm. it's not what you need. So we're going to give you what you need for, in some cases, at, at some lofts, it may end up being a little shorter. It might be you longer, can't. it might be the same. But it, it might be a little shorter. And I hope that you like everything else enough. Yeah. Hope, oh, yeah, really? It's do you, and for this type of golfers, do you like what you see? Do you, do you like hitting it higher? Does that look good to you? And the ball landing, boom, right by the pin. Like, yeah, can you do, you know, you can't always get what you want, Tony, but sometimes you might find, you get what, what you need. And, and I mean, from my perspective, as a decent player, finish the year around an eight handicap. That's a boy. Single But you always story. know, like, I don't necessarily always know, like, I need it to launch at X and, and launch or 
and spin it wide, but I know right. like, Hey, this is how I hit it and it needs to do something different and I want to see it. So I, with my irons, a lot of times I want to see that flight come down a little bit. So, you know, if you're looking at, for me, I look high flight all day, I'm like, let's, let's bring that down. And when I see it drop, I'm like, yeah, there it is. And so I would imagine that if you're a guy who's hit these low shots over and over again for, for years, right. all of a sudden the ball comes up, it's higher in the air and it's going, you know, give or take, give or take, you know, within a few yards, we're not talking about massive. How would you like to hit it 10 yards shorter? No, that's not what we're selling. Maybe right. a little shorter, but we're going to give you a much more pleasing and playable trajectory. I would like to think that a guy who's been hitting those bullets for however long, a decade plus, and all of a sudden starts to see a ball kind of come up and land a little soft, like that's going to look good. I want that. Mm -hmm. That's a I fun. think that's the play. I hope that's the play. I hope it works because. Yeah. And the other piece too is I think as as more companies plug into things again, had Lou on last week, as more companies plug into things like Arcos and start to see what are the real world implications of, of what we're doing. Right. right. Loft jacking, whatever you want to call it. Like, is this actually helping golfers and starting to see like, Hey, yeah, well that, that, that wasn't exactly what we had in mind. Maybe we, maybe we just pushed a little, maybe we overcooked that a little bit. Yeah, let's, let's bring it back. And so, so hopefully, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the data says that hey, just hit everything long and it'll all come out in the wash. You know, you'll, right. you'll roll up a, enough low ones close that you won't mind the ones that roll past or, you know, get stuck in the ditch on the way, whatever it happens to be. But I think, I think that having access to a significant pool of data will, will show these companies that, that maybe we've, as you say, we've overcooked this thing and we might overcook the turkey. Gone too far with the lofts. We need to. You know, whether it's lightweight, like the Nippon shafts, some of the right. graphite stuff we've seen. Yeah. Overall weakening lofts like Mizuno's doing. Just something that gets the ball in the air and lets it spin. Yeah. Land soft. All of the, all of those wonderful things that, mm -hmm. you know, not every player sees. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, that, cool. A lot of, lot of info there. A lot of, lot of things to consider, talk about on your, uh, on your turkey week here, people, I hope you uh, eat a lot. I hope you enjoy time with friends and family. And until next time, Golf Spy T, Tony Covey, Golf Spy C, Chris Nickel. Callaway, come talk to us about your balls. And maybe some light beer and fajitas. 